0: Good evening guys. Good evening. Yes, I love that. I love that. If you know me, feel free to shout back at me. Feel free to say glory. Hallelujah. If you uh, feel so inclined, Um, it makes me feel not so alone. Um, That's a joke guys. Come on. Um, I want to welcome you guys here again. Uh, My name is JD. I'm a volunteer here, a member here of Providencia, um, and I get the privilege of sharing tonight with you. Um, Our text for tonight is from the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 28, verses 17, 18 to 20. Um, If you want to read along with us, um, the passage will be up on the screens. Uh, Tonight, we're continuing our series and being rooted in mission um, and if you've been around evangelical culture enough and evangelical communities, uh, you'll know that we'll be jumping into a pretty common text. It's often referred to as the Great Commission. And I'll share a little bit about what that invokes in me personally and talk through some of those positives and negatives, I think, and, of that title and talk about the context and what it might look like for us to, to live that out. If that sounds good with you guys. Yeah. Okay. So let's read the text. Uh, Matthew 28, verses eight, starting at verse, 17, eight, at verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And today we'll be concentrating a little bit more on that verse 19 in particular. So let's talk about it. Um, For many of us, we have heard this passage primarily in the context of global missions. That is, in the context of someone leaving their home, their neighborhood, their nation of origin to move elsewhere with the purposes of sharing the message and the gospel of Jesus. And oftentimes, it's given sort of as a universal standard, a universal mandate for all people everywhere. And though I believe there is validity in that application, I also really want to caution us not to jump too quickly to that. And at this point, I'd like to remind us of a little thing called context. This passage, like every passage of scripture, has a context, an author and a projected audience, a message for them in their space, and in their time. And it's important for us to point out that the term great commission doesn't show up explicitly in the text. We instead have a series of commissions seen in the gospels and in the book of Acts that give us a full and contextual view of the commissioning of those who follow Jesus. See, I grew up going to a Hispanic congregation in New York City, and my church was filled with immigrant families. Probably every adult in the church was an immigrant, and I had little to no real awareness of international missions. Most of the people uh, in the church were fleeing from their countries of origin, oftentimes because of violence or corruption there. And it wasn't until I actually came to PBA, Palm Beach Atlantic University, a private Christian college, where I began to hear people say, I want to move to Africa. Or I want to move to Thailand or the Philippines. To which my reaction was, what? See, my parents came from the Dominican Republic during the Civil War there. And in the context of our church, in the space of our church, there was little to no theological priority on the idea of global missions. And this also brings up the conversation of privilege and resources. It brings up, you know, who has the ability to go overseas into that, with that kind of capacity. I think in a very organic way, this passage was about family and friends and co-workers and neighbors in the apartment above you that played bachata merengue music for way too long and way too loud, which is there really ever too long and too loud? But it is when it's Saturday night. you got to go to church in the morning. Or the neighbor who's a single mom who's raising three or four kids. See, context is important. And these passages are important because Jesus commands them. And he commands them in a time, in a 40-day period between his death and his resurrection. And yet... Each gospel story shares the commission differently, with different language, with a different emphasis. And they talk about Jesus sharing this commission with his disciples at different times. For example, in Matthew, Jesus speaks, is speaking weeks after the resurrection in Galilee with an emphasis on discipleship and community building. In Mark, it's unknown exactly where this takes place, but his emphasis is on proclamation and signs following those people who believe. In Luke and John's version, he speaks in Jerusalem, but Luke emphasizes the empowerment of the spirit, and John talks about the sending role of the church. Each of these texts speak of the church being commissioned and sent out, equipped, and empowered to go beyond themselves. And we have a beautiful picture of diversity in all of these accounts. The methods themselves are not sacred, but the embodiment of it is. In this sense, we as followers of Jesus of Jesus are commissioned and it is a great one. This commission finds its roots all the way back in Genesis to the story of Abraham where God promises Abraham to make him a great nation, to bless him so that he might be a blessing to other people. Cuz it was never just about Abraham, just like it's never been just about us. May we be a blessing to bless others. A few months ago, um, I got to share about being rooted in Scripture. And I started off that sermon by confessing that I have a complicated relationship with Scripture. And today I confess that as I was studying for this text, I was reading it and a lot of times felt... Oh. See, I think that we can address this passage without also addressing, and honestly, some of the ideologies that are driven our own country. As I mentioned earlier, the term Great Commission isn't found in Scripture itself. It's actually a term that was first seen in print in 1899. And for me, that sort of makes me cringe. Um, This is why I believe that it's important for us, particularly as American followers of Jesus, to take pause with how we engage with the text outright. See, ideas don't come out of thin air, and they are in some shape, form, some shape or form influenced by culture. Given this time period, it's very difficult for me to separate the coining of the phrase Great Commission and the ideology that was very popular just a few decades before it called Manifest Destiny. See, Manifest Destiny was the belief that it was ordained by God for this country to expand across the entirety of the American continent and to bring along with it, its superior virtues and culture. Now, this isn't 1899, but we feel the same effects of this kind of prerogative. I know that this ethos still permeates our country, and I believe that these kinds of ideas influence the church as well. I think that the influence of this culture still looms. And many places, perhaps unknowingly, treat this process and this idea of discipleship the way that America treats manufacturing products. We have an entitlement to go wherever we please. And oftentimes knowing what is good and best for people without gauging the teachings of Jesus first. With the same spirit and ideology, the church goes out and makes converts and not disciples. It is modeled in that way of entitlement a lot of times and in its method. Discipleship for many of us has looked like, go and make disciples of America teaching her values. And Jesus is a subset to that. It is one of the grave ways that this passage has has been abused. It's synchronized with American ideals. Sometimes this manifests itself in the idea that I need to have a conversation with the person next to me sitting on this plane. Going and making disciples feels at times as a type of conquest. The claiming of space and the claiming of time and ideas. And that's really difficult. Ironically, people go out into the world on behalf of Jesus without living in the way of Jesus. Jesus. And it all very quickly becomes about people's egos and prides and not about the message of Jesus. And we often highlight more and we, are, we often highlight and are more motivated by winning and saving people rather than loving people and serving them. Loving people is difficult and it takes time, but we want to expedite that growth and process. And that's why... Discipleship in church can look so program heavy. The thing is that discipleship is an invitation to follow. Disciple literally means learner. And there is a teacher and a learner relationship involved. A true model of discipleship, the one that Jesus demonstrates for us, is one that requires relationship, connection. Disciples, discipleship requires us to be invested in people's lives. One of my favorite um, kind of stories that illustrates discipleship for me from scripture is when I think of Jesus um, praying with his disciples a few days before his arrest. And he goes off to pray alone. He models for them boundaries and models for them uh, intimacy with the father. And when he comes back, he finds the disciples asleep. And he says to them, um, why are you you sleeping? And he reminds them that the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And one of the reasons that I love that idea of discipleship is because that's a Thursday night. That's not a Sunday service. And so much of discipleship in our culture is based off of programming of a church or programming um, of some kind of we're going to teach during this time. When really... It's a command to share our lives with people. We are to go and make disciples, teaching them everything that I have commanded. And at this point, I think it'd be good for us to ask, what was it that Jesus taught and commanded? When I think of the teachings of Jesus, I think of a teacher who proclaims a vision of God's kingdom on earth for all people. A new way of living a new society, a new way of relationships that are marked by love. I think of Jesus being asked, what is the greatest commandment? And him responding, loving God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and loving your neighbor as you love yourself. Explicitly in John 15, he states this. There's a few verses, so bear with me. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My commandment is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love no one has than this, than to lay down his, one's life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do what I have commanded. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me but I have chosen you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. Verse 17, this is my command, love each other. Going and making disciples, teaching everything that I have commanded. When I think about what Christ has commanded for us. I think about loving people. And what is the best way for me to do so? Going and making disciples and teaching must model love and service and not conquering. And not the exchange, simply the exchange of knowledge. I think to myself how the church might look different if we took sharing information as seriously as we did loving people. Being there for people, serving people, listening, and caring, carrying their burdens with them. This isn't just about, and this isn't, don't mix my words, this isn't about, like, should I share the gospel or not? Like, talk about Jesus. Like, it's okay. Be, feel free to talk about Jesus. Say his name. Talk about him. This is, this is who has inspired you, and you can share. This is what, this is where, um, this is what inspires me. This is where, who I who want to follow. And who I want to be led by. This isn't about whether to share or not to share. But it is to say, share and live passionately with your life. Jesus proclaimed a kingdom that was marked by love and service. And we see that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And he spoke of this kingdom as a wedding banquet, a feast for all to join. And he was known for hanging out with those who culture deemed inappropriate. And he ate and drank with them. He was known as a a drunk and a glutton. And there was no one who was off limits for his love. We are called to live a model of disciple making that calls us to share our lives and not just share our minds. And that's why it's for everyone. Because everyone can love and everyone can serve. In the book of Exodus, at when Moses is being called, um, Moses, who is said to have some sort of speech impediment, is called to speak in front of the most powerful person of his time in Pharaoh. And in, at the beginning of Exodus 4, Moses asks, you know, what if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? And the Lord says to him, what is in your hand? And he responds, a staff. He says, throw it on the ground. And Moses throws it and it becomes a snake. And he begins to show them, these are the signs and wonders that will follow you. I will be with you. And I think for a lot of us, especially that are wondering, man, what do I have to give in discipleship? What do I have to offer in discipleship? in teaching and learning and growing i think god is asking us what's in your hand what's in your hand what can you use what what ways are you gifted in what talents has god given you and at the very least we all have the capacity to love and we all have the capacity to serve and we all can be a listening ear and a caring ear For people. What's in your hand? It's more than enough for God to use. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of this age. I so want to step into this commandment in a way that's freeing for me. Um, I want to go in a way that is freeing and not in a way that's like, oh, I got to have this conversation with someone. Um, The call is to love. Find someone to love. Love them. Be there for them. Long suffer with them. And in that way, we're following the way of Jesus. In that way, we are bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. And make disciples of all nations, of all people. Go and be free to cultivate this kind of community. Go and be free to create these types of relationships and do it in his name. Loving people as he has loved you, and serving people as he has served you. His command is to love each other as he has loved you. Let's pray.